Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks. Well, welcome to this episode of the podcast. Uh, today, uh, I'm your ho- one of your hosts, Adam Jones here, and um, today we really want to focus on, a little more on, on livestock grazing through the winter. We're, we're sitting here uh, recording this conversation, you know, I would say about halfway through through winter. Uh, a lot of folks are probably running out or have ran out of forage, uh, standing forage at this point, and, and are looking to, looking to go towards uh, hay feeding, supplemental feeding. Um, of livestock, primarily cattle during the winter time. And uh, so I think our guest today is going to really provide us some some great tips and tricks on on how to make that transition and, and kind of what we're looking for in that process. Um, so with us today, we've got Travis Watson. Um, he is a district sales manager and precision manager uh, with MFA Incorporated. And I'll let you introduce yourself, Travis. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, like Adam said, I am district sales manager for District 9 and also the Area, area sales manager for the precision team. Um, basically what I do down here is just work with a team of uh, key account managers uh, who work with growers to help improve their operations. Um, we're prim- primarily in district nine um, cow-calf operations or um, you know we've got some guys that do backgrounds from calves and feed a little bit along the way. Um, got some dairies as well. But uh, very little row crop. What row crop we do have um, is is minimal. But you know there are some guys out there raising some forages for supplement uh, for their cattle uh, or for their operations. Um, we do do some silage down down this way, and that'll probably be the biggest part of uh, consumption of grain will be in the silage form and not grain. But uh, you know, just down here, uh, like I said, basically going to be livestock operations and uh, and dairies. Yeah. So uh, define <laughs> yeah, down so, here for us. Uh, Travis, what's uh... basically basically the area that I take care of or help manage um, will be, like I said, District Nine, and uh, that that territory pretty well runs. Um, you know, my the locations that I work with will be the Ashgrove, uh, Ozark, Springfield area, and Marshfield. That'd be the Greater Ozarks, and then as you move east, uh, the the be the South Central group would be Houston, West Plains, Ava, Mountain Grove, um, Salem. Uh, we go as far as east as Salem. Uh, so, you know, those, that area there, um, those two areas, sorry, those two groups would be the, the, the two groups that I work with in District 9. And within those two groups is is, is there's quite a bit of difference between the two. Uh, you get over in the South Central group, the ground's a lot tougher in that part of the world, a lot more pasture. We probably see a lot less, I wouldn't say a lot less, but we do see more, probably more, uh, more acres per cow than we do in the greater Ozarks. We've got a little bit better soil probably in this part of the uh, in the greater Ozarks area, a little bit better soil. So you do a little, uh, you do some cattle work on the side as well, uh, Travis. I think I think that plays in the conversation that we're going to have here. So can you talk a little bit about your, you know, kind of personal farm um, endeavors there, and kind of how that plays into what you're doing, uh, what you're yeah. doing at work too? You bet. So um, prior to coming to MFA, you know, I've I've, I've worked on the farm full time. Uh, we downsized. Uh, we had a big chunk of ground that uh, came up for rent or for sale, actually, that we rented. And I uh, wasn't going to wait around for that to go away. So that's how I got in with MFA. But like I said, before that, I worked for the farm full time. And at one time, we were at 230 30 cows. And currently, we're down about one, anywhere from 110 to 120. Um, we kind of float around that number. Um, we do rent a little bit of ground uh, along with what we do own. Uh, I do work with my, my twin brother. Um, 
you know, basically we talk every day. We're we're discussing what we're doing, uh, but basically we're just you know we, we don't we don't uh, we don't put up any hay. We graze everything that we that uh, that we have. Um, we've decided that uh, he and I both work enough that we don't have time to be on the farm full time. So we've dis- we've kind of created a an operation that uh, requires as little work during the week as possible. Um, we do have families and uh, and jobs, so you know if we can try to limit our feeding between the between he and I to maybe you know this time of year to about hour hour and a half maybe every day at the most. Uh, we don't typically do that. Uh, usually it's about every other every other day we're spending about an hour feeding whatever we need to feed. Um, so that's just the operation. Uh, just the operation. Like I said, we're we're basically cow calf. We don't we don't buy any cattle in the background. What we do uh, we do have a cow calf operation that we do keep the calves and we graze them out for anywhere between 60 and, and 80 days before we sell them. Um, but uh, pretty well just uh, just kind of a closed herd situation is what we've got. Okay, cool. No, I think that definitely plays in plays into what you're talking about and plays into what we're going to talk about um, through this conversation. You know, it's uh, you know, it's it's one thing to to work for a company that does something. And it's another, I think, when you're when you're doing it yourself uh, on the farm after you go home from work every day. So I think that that plays a lot. So kind of diving right in here. Um, how do most folks kind of make that decision? You know, I think a lot of people are, you know, stockpiling some sort of standing forage has become a little more mainstream in the last um, few years here. Everybody's kind of figured out uh, the the nature of, of fescue and, and how well it stockpiles through a lot of the fall. And we actually get a reasonable amount of fall growth a lot of times now, too, with with some of the milder weather that we've had as well. So, you know, how do how do most folks make that decision, you know, kind of during the fall or this part of winter where, hey, I'm out of forage. Uh, it's definitely time for me to supplement. Um, you know, what's what's kind of your thought process there? What what, are, what is the thought process on, on most fo- farms uh, kind of during that period when we are like, well, we're out of grass. You know, we, we need to start feeding hay or we need to start supplementing with grain. Well, I'll say that. Uh yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, there is a there is a change or a shift towards uh, more focus on stockpiling. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because I was one of those guys that probably didn't put a whole lot of thought into it before I came to MFA. Um, but when I did come to MFA and realized, you know, we got to cut back. Some of it was kind of by really by accident. You know, we sold a bunch of cows. We were probably at that time in my mind way understocked for what ground we were going to keep. Um, and, you know, we decided, well, we're going to probably keep some heifers back and we'll get back to where we want to be, which was probably, you know, cow calf for every two and a half to three acres. Uh, but I realized really fast, and I think some folks do too, that, you know, when you're running that kind of uh, capacity per, you know, two and a half to three acres, you're going to be feeding hay by the first of December. And that was very normal for us. And I see that as a norm down here in, uh, in southwest Missouri. You know, you see a lot of pastures running out of uh, forages you know by then in november and first of december and so the next three or four months they're trucking hay out there um and i wasn't any different so but when you have that experience of actually not having to start feeding hay till maybe the end of december then it kind of has that you you kind of wake up and have that aha moment and that's what i had and it just kind of like realized real fast that you know i can probably carry another five maybe 10 more cows for this group of head or, or for this particular group of cows and but then at the end of the year i probably bought x amount of hay and offset really what 
what I was trying to accomplish. You know, the extra calves that I was carrying or able to produce out of that herd was being used by that extra hay or put up that extra hay. And um, but at the end of the year, when you look at your numbers, you look at the books and you see what you did. And I, I really didn't come out ahead. Uh, and in some cases, you probably came out backwards. Uh, I do notice that uh, these folks that are stockpiling fescue, uh, they the big thing that they understand is, you know, I'm putting or what they see is they see less miles on their truck, which means less fuel. Um, their calves seem to look better. And I don't think seem I, I mean, I you know, it's hard to compare, you know, year after year because everything's different. But their cat, their calves seem to look healthier, seem to be cleaner, which in my mind is telling me that the calves are probably just gaining better. If they're not muddy, nasty, and just standing around a hay feeder half the winter, then they're they're performing better. Um, less less, I think they have less health trouble. I know I've seen that. I, I seems like to me, I seem like I have less feet trouble, and I think it's due to the mud. Uh, there's just less of it. I don't have my ground is not tore up. And that's kind of the big thing that growers say, hey, I'm not having to tear up half my pasture feed and hay year round uh, or not year round, but in the wintertime as early as I usually do. So, um, you know, if there's a shift in that and I think it takes trying it and doing it and maybe sometimes it's by accident. Maybe sometimes it's because we have a grower that we are working with personally as a as a, our livestock cans have been trying to get out there and promote that stock problem. And when you get somebody that will try it. And they realize I'm feeding less hay to that group of cows, but everywhere else I've not changed my practices. I'm doing the same thing year after year with those girls. And it's like, man, that's nice not having to go in and run a bale of hay to those cows over there. But that other group that my key account manager taught me into maybe selling a few cows or maybe putting more fertilizer on. You know, and that's something that uh, we haven't discussed a lot of on the fertility side of things. You know, it does take a commitment. You know, if we're going to be doing this. You know, there's fertility commitment. There's a time commitment. We might actually have to reduce the cows in that group. Um, but, you know, it's baby steps for some of these guys, and that's fine. Um, you know, we, we do have to plan ahead if we're going to stockpile fescue, and that's probably the hardest thing for a grower to do because we need to be thinking about this really in probably July and early August, yeah. Yeah. not not end of August. We need to be putting a fertilizer out by the end of August. So, you know, the planning before that comes in. And that's really, really hard for growers to do. Um, who thinks about fertilizer stockpile and pesque in August, uh, early August? Very few people do. So, um, you know, there, there's, like I said, there's some challenges with that uh, as, as a producer like myself or as a, as a key account manager that's working for MFA, going out there and trying to get those producers to get on board with that. Um, but I, if you do try it, if you do get on, if you do get in that in that uh, uh, in that trial mode and try it, I think most of these guys will just the, the light bulb will go off and be like, wow, this does work. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a good point there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's one th it's just it's one thing to see a presentation on it, to see it on a slide somewhere. Um, but but really making those, you know, quantifying it on your own place is, is really what makes you make the change. You know, one of the questions I had down for you was was on keeping track of of how much hay and supplement you use every year and you kind of dove right into that one so so kind of how how do you do that i i'm sure you're keeping track at at some point of 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 hay use and and probably in as far as pounds in total supplement usage um you, is that something you kind of track through the through the winter each year and and kind of keep an idea of of what you got on hand versus what you used last year you know, maybe you've done things differently this Adam, year. That's, no, a, that's, no, a, that's a great doing. question. That's a great question because actually, you know, we're sitting here having this conversation, you know, uh, first of, uh, which is the 4th of January, right, for the new year here. 
And um, I, I mean, I, I don't I don't want to paint this picture that, you know, Watts Ranch has nothing but just lush pastures everywhere. I do have a group of cows that I'm st still feeding hay to uh, starting, you know, probably middle of December. Um, I have I, I do, I, you know, currently I got four different herds and two of them I'm feeding. I'm, um, I'm, well, one, I've been feeding hay for the last 20 days, roughly, and one herd I'm probably going to have to start this week. Um, they're not completely out of grass, but I will have to probably start rolling hay out. And, uh, you know, maybe every, every two days, I'll probably go out there and, uh, either put one in the ring or roll it out. But when you're, when you know, when you're running, when you're feeding hay to only 50 cows, uh, versus hundred, 120, you know, that, that's okay with me. Uh, like I said, by no means do I want to think that it gives the impression out there that, I, that I'm not feeding any hay at all. But what I have done is you know thinking back what we used to do in the past i used to feed anywhere from three to four bales per cow and you know that was a lot of hay you know especially when we were running 200 and 260 mama cows uh, but even today if i were to just keep doing what i was doing in the past and i was down to 100 just for easy math you know we're looking at three to four hundred bales of hay that i have to buy every year um but you know with better management this is gonna this is kind of even sometimes i even kind of get kind of question if that's right or not but when I do the math last year on those same same number of cows that I've been running at 110 120 we only fed 100 bales of hay we had a really really good fall last year um and uh you know this fall actually you know we were right on the edge of that drought um you know the area of drought we were right on the, the very uh northern edge of that uh, we we were blessed with some rain um that, that a lot of folks in southwest Missouri did not get uh, and, you know, today, right now, if I just rod top of my head to date, I have only fed about uh, 10 bales of hay. And most of that was, like I said earlier, which is one group of cows. Um, and I'm going to have to start feeding another group. But I, I always feed a little sooner uh, than most folks. When I see that, when I see up, start to see that grass probably around that four, four inches to six, I'll start rolling some hay out um, and stretching that pasture because I want them to actually go graze as well. I don't want to just them all standing at a, at a bale ring all, all winter long from here on out. Uh, I still want them to go out there and pick. And some guys will laugh and say, well, if you roll that hay out, they'll quit, they'll quit grazing. They'll, they'll just, they'll stand at the fence and ball. And I've not had that issue. Um, if you roll some hay out, you know, maybe you're only feeding about half what the cow needs for the day or for the next two days, uh, they'll still go out there and graze. And like I said, I hate to slick off a place before I start feeding hay. But yeah, I've seen, um, I've seen a huge reduction in, in hay in hay purchases. So, so you're saying that it's, it's, uh, you're getting better luck with them finishing off pasture or finishing off stockpile, but actually going out there and rolling out a bale versus, you know, once you throw one in a ring somewhere, then they expect that your truck to roll in every once in a while and dump another one in that ring. Yep. So like I said, my, you know, right now at the farm that I that just said that I was going to have to start feeding hay to, uh, you know, I did the math on those cows, uh, and, and realized that I'm going to have to probably go out there about maybe three times a week and I'll take a bale of hay, bale of hay with me. Um, and you know, there's about 35 cows in that group. So, you know, 1,000, 1,100 pound bale of hay, they're only, I'm only feeding them half of what they need with that bale of hay. The other half they're going to have to go get. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the plan, you know, provided that the weather, if the, if the ground's right, it is not too muddy. I'll roll it out. Um, if it's too muddy, it'll get put in the bale ring and, you know, I'll sacrifice a piece of that ground somewhere and let them kind of rut it up, mud it up. But, uh, that's all they're going to get. Uh, but like I said, I, they're not completely out of grass either. 
Because yeah. I still Kevin, see that benefit. I still see that benefit of them getting out away from that muddy ring, letting their feet dry out, letting those calves stretch and, you know, not be not everybody, you know, congregating around, you know, those bell rings and, and just lying in, in soupy mud. Yeah, I think that's a great point is um, utilizing hay before you run completely out of your stockpile. Um, and instead of waiting till the very end and then you're stuck feeding it. And like you said, you're not allowing them to be able to get away from a bale ring or where it's even rolled out and dry out their feet, you know, where it gets muddy, especially this last few years where we had really wet winters. Yep. And, um, you know, that could be really bad. But I think it's something I wanted to bring up is we were talking about, you know, counting your bales and understanding how much feed you're using to supplement. Um, on that point, do you see a benefit on keeping down your bales that you have to feed by rolling out compared to using a ring or where are we talking about utilization of actually using up the bales compared to waste? Well, this is a, this is a, (laughs) the the rolling out versus the bale rings, you know, I don't know if there's the right answer. And, you know, I do both. Uh, You know, there's those folks out there said, well, if I roll out my hay, you know, I, I scatter out that manure and you know what? That's 100% right. But then they also, the guy that's against it, says, well, you know, I roll out a bale of hay, you know, we got 30 cows on it, and about half of it gets trampled. You know, they manure on it, they pee on it, and I've wasted, you know, a third to half of my bale. So, you know, I don't do that. I put in a bale ring. Um, but then if you put in a bale ring, you always have those muddy those muddy areas around there. You turn you turn up and chew up that ground. And, uh, um, and also, you always just have that old hay that they just won't eat that sits there in that, in that area. And, you know, I... I, I have got um, farms that I've done both, and I, I see the pros and cons of both. I see that area that they rutted up and muddied, and, you know, what's there next year is weeds. And you always have that old dead hay that's killed out the fescue underneath it. Um, and like I said, you know, where we've rolled out hay, I've seen cows lay on it. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if I roll out a bale of hay for 50 cows. There's always going to be waste. But you're going to have it either way. Um, but what I do do uh with the bell ring situation is i move those rings every time i feed it you know and now if it's just muddy and i'm going to tear up a farm trying to do that no i sacrifice along the timber and i hate to do that because you're not getting that manure distributed but i sure as heck don't want to tear up a pasture either um when i roll out hay i systematically try to do it um one thing i do try to do when i roll out hay is you know there's always that that bottom uh, part of that bale that's really kind of crappy that nobody you know the cows just won't eat um, I might go somewhere like along the timber and try to cut that part off or at least roll out that first roll, first wrap, and then I go run across the pasture and feed out that better hay that the cows typically will eat um, and uh, clean up. Um, there's no secret. I don't think there's no magic bullet on how to keep pastures from getting torn up or, you know, introducing weeds, whether that's because we smothered out with grass or the cows have churned it up or, you know, I don't think there's any secret to that. There's a management piece of that that I do try to work. You know, I, you know, at the end in the spring, I have an old tether. If I've got cows that have not cleaned up hay, I take the old tether out there, and it was the only piece of hay equipment we kept. And what I do do is with that is I go out there and I set that tether where she's barely scratching the ground, and I go out there and I try to pulverize those hay piles the best I can. Um, some guys will try to burn it. I don't burn. I just try to go out there and scatter that hay best I can, get some air underneath it, get some light where the grass can actually grow underneath it. Um, it's not 100%. We still always have weeds, but we spray as well. Um, that's another piece of that uh, management that we do is we do spray our pastures. Uh, I'm sure Adam and Cameron, you guys probably have some questions on that as well. We can dive in that later, but uh, you know, that's 
that's what I try to do to keep the grass from smothering out, though, is by keeping that dragged out and try to systematically um, move those belt rings. And, and uh, when I do roll hay out, do it in a, in a pattern of some sort. So uh, what are you looking for? And I know you're you're buying a lot of hay, Travis, yourself, but, what, you know, whether you're buying it or, or rolling it up yourself, <clears throat> kind of what are you looking for? Uh, in hay quality versus, you know, how do you know when you're going to have to supplement with something else, you know, when you're not, you're not getting what you need out of those bales, it may just be dry matter, uh, may not be giving them what they need. Kind of, how do you, how are you making some of those determination, determinations? So I'm probably going to tell myself a little bit here and uh, I'll have some of these key account livestock managers frowning at me, but not all my hay gets tested. Uh, I'd say about half of it gets done. Um, it just depends on timing and all that. And then, you know, we, we do try to put most of our hay in a barn. Uh, and the hay that doesn't get tested is usually what gets shoved in the barn first. And then the second round of hay that we buy usually covers it up. And then here you are. Um, but I've got about four or five guys that I buy from. And not every year. Uh, I kind of just call and ask who's got hay for sale. So I trust the, I trust the hay. But we supplement with, you know, with hay. Or I'm sorry, with alfalfa. And we do also with grain. Um, I do the math on the grain. I do the math on the alfalfa, what it's costing, and I try to, you know, whichever is going to be the best buy. But uh, I will say this, that I do like I do like the alfalfa the best. Well, we get some roughage out of that. So if you're short on grass, you know, for every pound of alfalfa you put in that cow, that's a pound less of hay that hopefully she doesn't need it, that she's not required to, to supplement through the hay. We've, we've had fed it for years. My dad fed it, you know, but that was back when we were, you know, young and, you know, had a lot, a lot more time. We fed with, uh, we fed with square bales. Uh, but we either buy big squares or rounds and uh, try to buy it local. Um, and, uh, you know, we do pull some sa- uh, hay samples on that so we know what kind of quality we're getting and we feed based off of that. So currently right now, um, we're feeding all the, all the cows that uh, have calves decide uh, alfalfa and they're getting about, uh, on average, about six to eight pounds a day. And uh, we have a pretty good idea what those bales weigh. We do weigh them. Uh, and get an average and we do our best to try to distribute that out the best we can and we try to go see those cows about every other day the, the group that has uh the fall calves spring calves we're not there just yet um some guys like to start feeding them now um but you know i look at the, the condition of my spring calvers and they're all in really good flesh but here in probably about yeah. middle of january between the middle of first of middle of january first of february we're start we'll start uh, to supplement those cows uh, with some alfalfa as well. We do feed grain. It just depends on on, on the weather and the and the field conditions. If it's really really muddy, uh, we'll get those cows. You know, we have a a, a mix that we buy out of our uh, local exchange there in Bolivar, and uh, we'll we'll uh, put a mix together with them, and uh, we'll go out and feed uh, those cows. You know, anywhere from five to six pounds every other day for what they may need. Gotcha. So you you mentioned the alfalfa. So you think that over over the grain you think that kind of makes them consume less hay than when you do have to make that supplement gear shift yeah. whereas the grain like, you think they go ahead and eat all the hay they normally would basically right correct and you know i, I just like the alfalfa uh, for two reasons i mean and uh like i said i think it it's, it's it makes them it makes those cows slow down a little bit everybody gets a bite uh those timid cows they'll they'll get what they need um and also you know you know, I look at I look at whether it's round bale of hay or round bale of, or of alfalfa. I look at that as fertilizer as well. Every time I roll that alfalfa out and those cows are out there grazing, um, they're manuring. And I just basically have in a, in a in a way I don't just see it as feed. I see it as uh, fertility as well. And uh, that's kind of a side benefit of buying all my hay, I believe, and and putting that out uh, on my place. 
Well, for sure. If you're spreading it around, I mean, that, there's, you know, there's an X dollars worth of fertility in each one of those bales that you're, you're putting out there. That's, that's coming right through the cow. As long as she's not standing in a lot, you know, the road, um, making a pile somewhere, if she's out in the pasture somewhere, you know, you're, you're getting that back for sure. Yep. Well, I, and I kind of have a little bit of a, you know, I, I guess you can say back when I started with MFA, I kind of, I kind of was watching a lot of these, uh, Back whenever I was full-time uh, precision area sales manager, we looked at a lot of these uh, fertility maps. And, you know, anybody that's in the precision program understands they see these maps, they see these hotspots. And, you know, as you, if you see enough of them, you, you see these hotspots on these um, on these, uh, on these maps, you, you realize real fast what that is. That's either a feeding area, a pond, or a shade, shade tree. And you're just looking at the inventory of the map. You're not looking at any kind of imagery. You just know that there's a reason why it's, it's it's a high level. Well, whenever I was feeding a lot of grain, you think about somebody feeding a lot of grain. Those cows sit there, those calves sit there, and they they eat that grain. Well, they stand around and they're licking everything that they've just you know you know ten hours before is getting kicked right out the back end there. And I would rather see that stuff kind of get moved away from the feed bunks and scattered out in the pastures. So for me. Whenever I had to convince my brother, who's my partner in this deal, like, hey, let's feed alfalfa, it was really easy for him to make up his mind after I showed him some of these maps of why we need to be spreading our fertility around just through the animal. So that's probably a piece that most folks don't think about whenever they're thinking about feeding hay or buying hay. Uh, is there some fertilizer in there that's got some value in there that we probably don't ever pencil that in when we're thinking about uh, what, what our feed's costing us or what our hay's costing us? Yeah, that's something I wanted to circle back to when you were talking about how you strategically roll out your bales and you move your bale rings every single time is that's really crucial because you're not only, you know, like you said, not only helping to keep the mud down in certain places where these cows keep going to to feed and they're ruining their feet and stuff because they keep trouncing through the mud, but you're also spreading them around and you're spreading out those nutrients that they're putting back to the ground themselves. Um, so instead of creating those hotspots, like you said, what you see on these nutrient maps, when we pull soil samples, you're doing a lot better job of spreading it out across these pastures and doing, you know, giving us a better opportunity to not have to pull a bunch of nutrients from one spot and have to replenish that pasture or that hay ground from that single spot, but doing a better job of spreading it out. Yep. Is there any, is there anything you're doing, <clears throat> Travis, or or kind of tips that that you have for for getting that accomplished? Because we all know in the real world, you know, we get two inches of rain in February or something like that, and and you're just not able to get equipment out there to get that hay moved around like you should. Are you, you know, are are you starting in any one place in the pasture? Do you have any method to your madness as you're rolling across feeding hay during the winter? Yeah, there is a method. Um, you know, we we always uh, we try not to start the same place every year. Um, you know, we do know uh, that where we where we stop feeding hay, for the most part, we 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 kind of know where we where we where we in it and where we're going to pick up this year. Uh, you know, it's 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 easy whenever you got a brother that's just uh, um, is on board as you about trying to get you know fertility spread out evenly across that field. So that makes it nice. Uh, I've actually tell you the truth with with growers uh, who got hired guys. You know, we'll print off those maps that show those high spots fertility. And, we'll, you know, we'll say, hey, you know, we know you guys try to roll out hay. We, you know, you try to move your rings around. Um, and we'll we'll actually, I'll, I have sat down with growers and just say, you know what, you know, we'll print off these maps, print two or three of them a piece, throw them in a feed truck. And that guy that's going to go out there and take care of that group of cows knows where to start. 
And, you know, you know, we it's kind of funny because we've actually had a conversation with a grower about two weeks ago and he pulled out a map that he had uh, from last year. And I mean, it was wadded up. It was dirty. It was crumpled up. But, you know, it was still being used by that by the by his hired hands and know where to start and uh, keep that, hey, uh, you know, spread out and kind of keep those nutrients out. You know, this is a grower that bought his, you know, he, he puts up his own hay, but he sure wanted to put that fertil, you know, fertilizer, if you will, back out where it needed to go. And that can sure help speed up some of the soil inventory or the buildup that we're trying to do on some of these farms as well. But yeah, it helps when you have a team of people that are on board. But there is a system that I do at my place. And like I said, we, we discuss it uh, every year where we're going to start. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, you know, we can get closer to the to the end of the field. You know, we never do. Uh, we just don't feed that much hay, but uh, but yeah, it, 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 when, it, when we have a muddy muddy winter like we did last year, it comes to the point where you just can't do that. And you know, we understand that we're probably going to feed maybe a third of our hay, maybe even half of our hay along the timber, just because I okay with sacrificing that edge. And it's just it is what it is. You know, I just as real world, I'm not going to tear up a hay field or a pasture by trucking across the field to just try to satisfy my need of getting that inventory up. It's not worth it to me. Well, yeah, there's a trade-off there with what you're doing to your forage that you're trying to grow for the rest of the year too. I mean, you, you know, it, getting some fertility there is great, but you've got to, you got to preserve that that sod, you know, for you're expecting to to graze it all year next year. So you bet, that's right. Um, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned fertility levels and stuff like that, but uh, as far as you know, winter pasture scouting, um. Is there anything you're kind of looking for while you're out there bebopping around, putting bales out or stuff you're kind of mentally thinking about what happened last year, uh, this time of year? Uh, always. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it, I'm always looking. Um, I guess that's just, you know, when you, when you're kind of passionate about something, you'll do that. Um, you know, I, I take that probably more serious than my brother. Now, you know, he, he works for a veterinarian and he's always looking at, you know, cattle health probably more than I am, but I'm always looking at, you know, pasture health. Um, and, you know, we're fortunate that he's passionate about that and I'm passionate about, you know, fertility and forages. So we have a really good team there, but uh, I'm always looking, you know, and, and, you know, we had, we actually had a team of guys come out to my place the other day and we did some visiting about pastures. You know, one thing that kind of got brought up was, you know, I got a lot of foxtail and, you know, there's something that I need to probably do about that. And I know that's not any different than anybody else. But I've got a real foxtail problem on a place that, you know, it's basically one of our farms that we do stockpile on. And, you know, it's not got a whole lot of nutritional value at all right now. And it didn't a month ago. Uh, once it frosted on it, you know, it was done. So things like that, if you're paying attention, you know, you can kind of think ahead like, hey, what, do I, what, what can I do next year to maybe kind of reduce that foxtail stand? Because, you know, I, I need this pasture next year to be, you know, part of my stockpiled fescue program and you know there's nothing there right now i mean there's there's forage there but it's got absolutely no value at all so you know if you're not looking if you're not paying attention if you're not paying attention to the wheat pressures you have um you know or you know paying attention to how much growth that's actually out there or or, or not really so much growth this time of year but uh you know availability you know i you know i'm always paying attention to that i you know just little little things like that can make a huge difference next year when you're trying to do something and no and not one year is ever the same so but i'll tell you if you pay attention to all these little things you know six months ahead you can get ahead of it sooner and maybe save yourself some some money down the road by not having to supplement or you know maybe just better management just simply by pulling the cows off 
off a field two weeks sooner might make all the difference in the world. So like your weed issues and, and things like that. I mean, you can, you can still see those out there in the pasture. You may not be able to ease as easily ID the species, but you can definitely tell kind of in the residual weed sticking up there or, you know, a lot of these things, a lot of our thistles and um, those kind of species. I mean, that, that rosette's laying there all winter. If you know what you're looking for, you can pick those out pretty easy during the wintertime. That's right. You know, and this time of year, you think that, well, what's there to look at? But you met, you brought up a good point. You see those rosettes, they're green. They ought to, you know, if you're looking, um, they ought to jump right out at you because they're, they're green and everything else has kind of just got that dull brown color to it. So that ought to be coming, jumping out at you. Um, something else a guy might might be looking at, you know, this time of year, if you look at, if you're out there in your pasture and you see some buck brush carcasses out there, well, um, this is a great time to look at buck brush and see what what's actually under that buck brush. There's usually not a whole lot of grass underneath that. Uh, usually chokes it out, crowds it out, but that ought to be eye-opening. You go out there in the pasture and you see some buck brush carcasses out there and you're like, you know what, I probably ought to get a jump on that. Um, you know, anything like, you know, little things like that will increase your, your carrying capacity. If you can grow more forages because you're taking out the competition, uh, you know, that's kind of, that's the key. But, you know, right now, you know, to say there's nothing out there to really go look at, uh, that's not true. There's a lot to go out there and look at. Yeah, always. It seems like, um, yeah, especially in a perennial system like that, you know, you're, you, you mentioned the few acres of row crop that are down there in your part of the world, but uh, it's it's a lot different because, yeah, I mean, you're looking at that that forage is growing um, all year, every year almost, and, and so there's not a lot of downtime there. So, um, you know, just keeping up on what's going on there is pretty important. You mentioned one thing that kind of caught my ear because I know I've I've seen this on a lot of farms and dealt with it on our own place. Um, you know, we've always got those those muddy Februarys and the things that we've had in the last couple of years here. Everybody's got a sacrifice paddock out there somewhere or or something that we've just been pretty hard on by doing some winter feeding on it or whatever. When you're looking at something either on, you know, for a grower or on your own place, what are you looking for as far as when that, hey, we need to come in here and probably physically do something. We need to put some more seed down. We've got a ton of bare ground because, you know, no matter what our weed control program is, um, if you got a bunch of bare ground out there and you're not growing any grass, the, you know, the weed control program is not going to do much for you. So kind of what, what are you looking for as far as when you make those decisions and kind of and how you dress some of those areas up in the springtime then? So, so um, obviously, where, where you've got a sacrifice place, you're going to have it. Who knows what it's going to look like? No one really does. Uh, so what I always do, not knowing what it's going to look like come spring, um, I will just go out there with, uh, I, I, I do have a sprayer and I'll go out there and I'll hit it with Grazon next. Uh, I think this next year I'm going to try a new product, Therapore. Um, I'm try it. I think I've, her, I've heard some really good, uh, good stories and, and uh, experiences with that new product. So I'm going to go use it. But, you know, I, where, where I do that, I mean, yes, it's a sacrifice piece of my ground. It looks pretty rough. It's, you know, every time I drag my sprayer across it, you know, it just, it just, you know, it's slow and it just, you know, you feel every rut that you made. But um, what I do notice is come June, you know, usually whenever I go in and spray that, that I probably won't be back in that part of the field till June. But when I do go back over there and see it, it's grass. Um, is it very thick? No. Could it be thicker? Yeah. And I could probably do something to help that. But in my mind, I'm not going to probably put a whole lot of seed into that just because I'm going to be back there again next year and, you know, rutting it up if I need it. 
But what I do know is when I spray it, I'm not I'm not encouraging any more seed being carried off from that spot and encroaching into the, the good part of my pasture. But you know, it, it is nice to see because I've I've had those areas that I did not spray, and the pigweed's always bad, uh, ragweed's always bad. You know, you name it, it's in there, right? So, but they'll never go in there during the whole summer. And they'll never go in there and, and really do much with it because it's just it's it's nothing but uh, a woolly mess. But if you go out there and spray it, and you do make that you know that uh, that trip over there and get it knocked out. And like I said, there's some years I don't make it, but most times I try to. And you'll you'll see them graze it. They'll be grazed you know the same height as everything else uh, in that pasture. Um, but yes, it is thinner, and we'll have some bare spots pretty much all summer long. Now, come summer, we might have some. Uh, um, some later summer weeds that might pop in there that I don't get, but it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Uh, usually when I, what I see in that area is um, probably a lot of Johnson grass. For some reason, that stuff seems like it likes to hang out in those areas that, uh, I don't know if it's just because, it, I don't know how it survives, but it does. It survives winter feeding, but we'll see Johnson grass in there. And I don't have a lot of issues with Johnson grass. My cows can graze it and, uh, you know, we're not, we're not having prussic acid issues or anything like that, but uh, we'll see foxtail in there um usually it's giant foxtail or something in there but yeah we'll have fescue but i think you just got to go in there and chase those areas and clean them up and, and keep that keep, really my main goal is just keep the weeds from spreading any further than they are so i'm not going to put a lot of money in seed in that um i, I said you know if you've got an area that you're going to move to next year and you want to kind of reclaim that spot and make it nice and pretty throw a little fertilizer and uh in that and if you can get away with it throw some seed out there and broadcast with it That'd be my suggestion for that. Yeah, for sure. And those those products that you mentioned there, those herbicide products can work really good as a, you know, kind of a pre-emergent herbicide too for a lot of those grass seedings. I mean, they don't affect it all, that grass germination at all. Absolutely. So you can throw those right out there. Certainly can can help. Because like I said, I think a lot of people have have used possibly some weed control in the past, you know, in those kind of areas. It, it makes it look nice, but, but uh, a lot, you know, sometimes you're not going to grow any more grass until you throw some more seed out there it 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 comes back pretty well but it doesn't magically appear in a giant bear area so right right you know one other thing that i've i've kind of made note of here is as you mentioned kind of using your fertility maps and stuff like that to to move around you know make those recommendations of where to unroll a bale of hay or, or whatnot what's if somebody was going to soil sample their pasture and this may feed into the kind of the perennial system a little more than again here but what what's kind of the best time frame to to do that or do do some of that fertility work or do some of that soil sampling on your pasture well i think uh you know for me i don't ever have a um particular time to sample nothing really just jumps out at me and says it's the best time uh we have times that are just better for scheduling uh but you know for those guys that are really serious about trying to stockpile i suggest try to get something done maybe in the spring maybe get a jump start you know, obviously we need a little time to figure out, you know, lime and, and, you know, honestly, the, the worst time to be putting lime on is going to be in the spring because all the trucks are busy. Uh, but when things lighten up happy in the spring, we've got time to get some lime out there and get that pH correct. pH is just as important in a pasture situation as in a hay field or row crop. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these folks say, well, you know, my, my pastures don't need as much lime as my, my, my other ground, my hay ground. Well, now, that's not true. That's not true. If you're putting fertilizer out there, the way the only way to maximize that fertilizer is to get the pH right. So we we have that conversation, but we 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 will have a rush. Uh, uh, you know, we'll have some guys that come in in the spring and want to and want a grid sample, 
And, you know, that's great. We, we'll take it and we'll tell them, you know, let's, let's get it started, get a, get, get it stapled, get, get a plan put together and start working on that plan. And, you know, there is no magic time to do it. I just think whenever that grower is ready to do it, you know, we'll push, we'll push him to, to do it as, as soon as uh, he's ready and we'll go. Uh, but like I said, if you're trying to do something for the, for the, for next summer, we need to be thinking five, six months in advance. That's hard to do. But uh, one thing about uh, one thing about having a having a precision specialist or a livestock cam involved, um, they can help remind you of things that we need to get done before uh, August or you know even September. Sure. Well, there's there's there is no quick fix for a lot of these things. You know, I mean it, it um, it's it's something that we need to plan ahead for, and that just goes goes with most things in agriculture. There's very few things that we can just snap our fingers and make go away. Yeah, if you think about if you think about all the stuff that needs done, I mentioned lime. We'll, we'll want to put some fertilizer out there, whether that's going to be in the spring or whether that's going to be in August. But also, we need to think about spraying. Um, if there's some guys that want to put some kind of uh, uh, seed out there, we got to be thinking about seed and when when can we spray? You know, do we need to be spraying? You know, x amount of days before we plant that seed or x amount of days after we plant that seed? There's a whole there's a whole list of stuff. And I you know, beef producers are probably and it's just because they don't know, you know, they don't know what some of these labels, you know, and some of these plant back dates and all that stuff, you know, is required. But, uh, you know, as bee producers, we're just not really in, in tune with all that information or knowledge. So, you know, making a plan and, we, you know, we're probably, you know, we're not good at that. As bee producers, we see something, we want to do it today um, just because that's just not how we work. You know, we're just like we, we don't think about the about the stuff that we have to. Uh, plan for when it comes to uh, herbicides and seeds but uh you know that's that's stuff that that's what our cams can help them out with and uh but you know if we can get that put together way way ahead in advance and we can we can make that plan way more success successful by by doing that yeah absolutely no doubt any, any anything else that we've missed on here as far as something to watch out for you know during during winter feeding or kind of when you're starting to supplement or kind of moving moving into the spring making sure we don't beat up our pastures too much i you know i like i said you know we we mentioned earlier you know every time somebody's out there feeding hay or looking at their cows you know be looking at be looking at their ground um you know i you know the feeding hay and and supplementing that's not what making that's not what's making that grower money uh and being profitable you know efficiency is key and if you're if you're looking at your pastures and trying to plan ahead uh, I think the one thing that we keep mentioning, or maybe it's me more so than anybody, but is plan. You know, you can think ahead, you know, four, five, six months and be looking at, always be looking at what's going on around you and your pastures. And we can, you know, help make those plans sooner than later. And, um, you know, by by having that plan and, and, put, and implementing it and having plenty of time to get it done, because it doesn't matter. Mother Nature's always going to throw us a curve. And, uh, and, you know, when we do get that curve, if we've got something in place, we can we can modify it. It's a lot easier to modify something that you actually have in hand than just try to dream up something and modify something that's not even there. So, and a lot of times, you know, we we uh, being reactive is you know we can overreact and we're acting off emotion instead of off of you know something that you know on paper that says you know what we can take the emotion out of this and 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 actually make something that's a better decision because we're basing it off of something that was planned ahead and not just like said emotion yeah I, I agree Travis I think I think like you said why you're out there feeding and stuff scouting is definitely going to be very crucial for producers I mean we we all know um especially in the beef industry I mean that's what I grew up in and that's what my dad still raises you know you may have a drop in the market when it comes to sell 
um, calves. And so maybe you realize that, you know, I can't spray all my pastures this year because I just, I didn't, the market wasn't where it was and I don't have the funds for that. Well, if you took the time while you were feeding and you were scouting and you saw like, Hey, paddock one, two, and three had way more rosettes of thistles out there than these other ones. Maybe those become your priority because you at least had the chance to look at it early. So you already had an idea of what it was instead of then trying to scramble and figure out which one should I put more focus on because you had an idea why you were looking out there before. Cause I mean, you know, we all know that you can't always take care of your pastures perfectly every single year. I mean, we all wish that's, they could. That's, but. that's definitely right, Cameron. And, you know, and you bring up a good point, uh, you know, trying to prioritize certain paddocks or pastures, you know, we, you know, we had a, I had a, a coworker that I worked with that always said, you know, he'd always tell his growers, you know, when we sit down to go over the fertility plans when, you know, in the new track program, you know, say, well, need to track is here to try to get everything put, you know, hopefully up to par in four years. And we get some of these results back and we get these recommendations. Boy, I mean, they just, we, sometimes they get really, really turned off because of the amount of fertilizer they need to put on in four years to get them up to, uh, up to test. But the one thing that my coworker would always tell us like, Hey, you, you or somebody didn't get these fields in this position or in this situation in four years. And we can't expect you to get out of it in four years. So maybe it's a six, maybe it's a six year plan, eight year plan, even uh, just understand we're not going to get you there as quickly. But obviously, we got to work off what, you know, money's coming in, what income's coming in from the cattle. So like you said, in a year like we had, you know, this year with this last year was a great example when COVID hit and we had these markets tank. Um, I really felt bad for guys that, you know, had to sell cattle because, you know, like I was out of pasture. I had to sell them and, you know, they took a bath. But, you know, to your point, though, prioritize what you can handle and, and can afford. It's a start. It's a it's a it's a it's a move in the right direction. Um, as long as we're moving forward and not backwards or even staying stagnant, if we're moving forward, I don't you know, I, I never tell a grower that you need to do more. You need to do more. Do what you can afford. And, you know, when they start to see that, and you know, we start to see a little bit of that, uh, uh, you know, if, if, if somebody if somebody sprays a pasture, can't spray pasture two, but he can spray pasture one, he's going to see an economic benefit in year two and three. He's going to see more bumping grass, and hopefully what that will lead to is, hey, I'm getting a little more income, or maybe I'm getting some savings. I'm not having to feed as much hay. What I did save, I can put into pasture two this next year. Yep. And, yep. you know, that's that's what I see. We see these guys that start fertilizing what they can't afford. They cut back on their hay purchases. Maybe they don't have to put up as much hay. Next year, they're able to afford more fertilizer because of the savings. So, yep. yeah. Microsoft, just take yeah, little steps. Absolutely, yeah. little steps, and it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're you're building up your own farm. You're you're bettering your own farm. Whether you're doing it for yourself for the next few years, you're doing it for your for the next generation that's going to take the farm over. It's just it's kind of just good for everybody. So right. it ma- makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like you said, Travis, I mean, you know, those, some of these pastures, you know, haven't been fertilized in years, hundred, I mean, 50 years, 10 years, a lot of years. And so some of these guys, like you said, when they get the results, I mean, my dad was the same way when he got his results after the NutriTrack went through, he was like, there's no way I can do this. I'm like, well, you got to think about your dad didn't fertilize ever. And so that's why these are where they're at. So it's a matter of baby steps, putting it forward you know, maybe you just, like we said, you put prior, prioritize paddock one and you get pr- paddock one and then you can see the benefits and you think yep. start, then you can start building with these guys and saying, see, we saw benefits from this one single paddock. Now let's start implementing it kind of 
going through, you don't have to necessarily try to get them to do the whole farm um, yep. in one situation. And we see that with row crops as well. It's overwhelming sometimes at first when you start to sit down and look at these. You get through year one, get through year two, and then you'll start to see that benefit. And you'll start to see some savings that you can focus that money towards, you know, the bigger goal. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Travis. I appreciate um I appreciate you taking the time to to sit down with us today and kind of have this conversation. I think it's an important one and it's always good whether, you know, most folks have been doing this for years and years and years, but sometimes I'm guilty of it. You know, you forget you forget some of the fundamentals sometimes and it's conversations like the tick something off in somebody's brain and gets them to thinking about what they're doing on their own operation. I do, like I said, it, this happens to me all the time. So, so I think these things are, are super beneficial. Do you, do you, are you active on social media? You want to pass across to your contact info or anything like this, that on the end of this, Travis? Well, I don't do a whole lot of stuff on social media, um, but I'm, I'm always at all my locations. Um, my phone number is out there. Uh, you know, my number is 417-327-3078. It's, my phone's always on. So anybody wants to call, have questions. Uh, my email is uh, twatson at mfa-inc.com. Anybody wants to shoot me an email and ask a question, uh, by all means, do so. Uh, like I said, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not, in my mind, I'm not the, the poster boy for, for, for raising cattle. I just know there are certain things that uh, I've done that's worked well for me and what may, what works well for me may not work well for you, but, you know, I'll give you any kind of advice that I have. Uh, I see a lot of things that other producers see that I'm very fortunate to see what some folks have done. And you may have a question. Have you ever seen this or has anybody ever talked about this? And I can sure tell you if I have or haven't, uh, but reach out to me. Um, I've got a, bunch of you know i got a bunch of guys that i work with down here uh my livestock cams and my precision specialists down here uh, they've seen many things as well reach out to them as well um you know call the call any of your your stores here in the greater ozarks or south central uh groups and uh, reach out to those to those teams um my teammates as well for, with them and they'll help you out and there's nobody down here at mfa that won't won't reach out won't you know try to help help you guys uh, as a grower become more productive um, yeah, excited for sure. about it. yeah appreciate that appreciate that travis i appreciate it yeah well thanks guys again like i said i think this is a good conversation kind of talking about a little bit of the late late winter things that that are going on in in livestock production especially cattle feeding cattle over the winter and um thanks again to travis and we'll talk to you later thanks welcome thanks, thank travis. you guys appreciate it. take care thanks for listening to made for agriculture Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.